Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you again on a Thursday night and ask you to help us as we study your word. Give us strength and wisdom and encourage us, Lord. Help us to be vigilant, to follow what is true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you wouldn't, we'll we'll get started in Matthew chapter 7, right on the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. And by way of introduction, this will be kind of a summary or uh, setting down the groundwork for for a new series we'll be starting on Thursday nights. And and that is uh, Truth or Imitation. And uh, our overall theme for the year as we go through this year, as we look forward to 2017, is to be still and know that I am God. And the other verse out of Philippians, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Now, as you go through this city in in which we live, uh, you're going to find... Hundreds of buildings that are called churches. And if you knocked on every door, not a one of them would say, we don't have the truth. I mean, even if you stopped by your friendly Jehovah's Sickness building, I mean, witnesses, uh, they would tell you, we have the truth. Everybody believes they have the truth. Uh, If they didn't, why would they be going there? I mean, have you met anybody yet that says, I know it's a lie, and I like it, and I'm just going to believe it. Has anybody? I've never met someone over 30 years in the ministry. I've never met anyone that would say that. They always believe that what they believed, whether it's truth or not, was true. And, and uh, I always like to allude to, uh, uh, you've seen the old western when he falls off the horse or the bad guy pushes him over the cliff and he grabs on this little root hanging out of the side and he's just hanging there and, and uh, they always show how far down it is if he falls and, and uh, uh, then they throw the rope and the brave man takes one hand and reaches over and grabs a hold of the rope and they pull him to freedom. Only in the movies, friends. In real life, in real life, if you were holding on to a little branch falling out of the side of the cliff, most of the time when they found your remains at the bottom of the valley there, you would still be holding on to that little branch because there's just something in our mind that won't allow us to let go of something that's going to kill us so that we can get a hold of the truth. That's human nature. That, that's why it is so hard many times to discern, to teach, to, uh, if you've ever tried to present the gospel to people. Uh, one of the things that I hear more often than, than I've ever heard, it's, it's just, I'm okay, I'm all set. Me and the man upstairs, we got it all together. Uh, anybody that would refer to God as the man upstairs does not have it all together. Let me, let me just tell you right from the beginning, if you're willing to refer to God in such casual and near blasphemous terms, it's, it's hard to comprehend that you really understand who God is. And, uh, 
they've done a lot of research in the past uh, 25 years or so, just as I was starting in the ministry, was the beginning of what they called the mega church movement. And uh, uh, these churches with 20 and 30,000 members and and um, and uh, uh, one of the founders of that movement, uh, the founder of the Willow Creek Church there outside Chicago, uh, was actually recorded as saying just in the last couple of years, he said, I wonder if we got it a little wrong. He said, maybe we've, we've just uh, presented a very shallow gospel. And I'm sitting here going, duh. Uh, we've been talking about that from day one, have we not? Uh, if it's true, if Jesus is really living in you, shouldn't things change? If you have a real salvation, should it work? That's what Paul told the Philippians when he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, those that don't understand their Bible very well turn that verse inside out and they say, well, I'm just afraid I can never know whether I'm saved. That's not what the verse is talking about. Salvation is the gift of God. And if you have it, you ought to treat it very carefully. My favorite illustration is the electrical supply box. Uh, down in the basement, we have 400 amps of three-phase power coming in at 208 volts. Uh, let me tell you something. Every so often, uh, just part of the maintenance of the church, we open the box and we check things to make sure that the uh, contacts aren't loosening up or any any such thing as that. And I remember watching the electrician that we called in uh, years ago to really help put things in order. He was tightening up those main lugs. And he was shaking when he was doing it. You know why? Because he was putting the... Uh, putting his bolt, uh, his tool into live 400 amps and tightening it up. Now, he was perfectly safe. Otherwise, he wouldn't be here today. There was no real danger, but just the thought of getting that close to that much power made him fearful. When is the last time you looked at your salvation that way? And let me tell you, 400 amps is very little in comparison with the power that God has exercised in your life to change you from a child of the devil to a child of God. Could we say amen to that? God's power is incredible. It is there. Paul said that I may know Him and the power of his resurrection, and yet we treat what God does for us much more carelessly than we would an electrical supply box. Now, I'll tell you this, Union only has 100 amps coming in. But I treat it just the same way as I do the 400 amps downstairs. Uh, and and uh, by the way, I treat the little 
tiny outlet with only 20 amps the same way. Uh, the reason is, I want to be around for a while. Uh, that is scary stuff. But it has to be fixed and it has to work right. And when it does, we have lights and power and we can do all the things uh, heat and, and air conditioning in the summer, and all those things happen when it's hooked up right. And we look here in Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus is finishing his Sermon on the Mount, he, he is giving us a warning here. And in verse uh, uh, 21, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And so, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're not going to take time to go through the whole Sermon on the Mount, but what he is doing is he is preaching the message of grace to those that would believe on him, those beatitudes. Uh, uh, some people say, well, the Sermon on the Mount is for the kingdom. Well, read, read Luke chapter 17. Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. God wants you to be blessed today. And by the way, is there anyone in here that would say, I'm not poor in spirit. I have, I'm strong. I can handle this. Uh, please see me afterwards. We'll sign you up for every kind of counseling that I know of because you are in desperate, desperate trouble. But how many of you know the peace and blessing that comes by understanding that I am poor in spirit and any good thing that happens in my life, not because of me, but because of Jesus? Can we say amen to that? And we go through those beatitudes and, and uh, uh, one of the things that you can do and should do sometimes is just start at the first beatitude and work your way through. It's, it's a great spiritual checkup to see where you are. They build on each other. And uh, everybody wants to jump to the last uh, one or two and uh, they want to be peacemakers and, and persecuted for righteousness sake. But if you don't have all the others before it, you're going to find yourself a member of this group that Jesus is talking about right here. They call him Lord, Lord. And Jesus said, I never knew you. And that's the purpose for this. If we were to stop and just walk out on the street and ask ten people randomly, do you know who Jesus was? You know, we'd get ten answers. This is New York. You cannot ask a New Yorker a question they cannot answer. Isn't that true? Uh, uh, they, they're, they're going to answer that question. But uh, it, the simple truth is most people believe that they know Jesus. I don't know how many people I've met over the years, talk to them a little bit about uh, uh, and find out they're from the religion of Islam and, and, 
And I said, but do you even know who Jesus really is? Oh, yes, yes, he's the greatest teacher. Even greater than Muhammad, they will say. I said, no, that's, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. You see, the Jesus of the Bible is God. Oh, no, he's not. God has no helpers. And they go on and on and on. And talk to someone of a different faith and, and begin, do you know who Jesus is? Oh, yes, he's the one that died on the cross to save, my, to save me from, uh, uh, from original sin. I go, uh-oh, here we go. And then they go on and they say, but if I really want to experience his love, I pray to his mother first. And you sit there and you go, wait a minute, that's not the same Jesus that's in the Bible, is it? Because Jesus is love. No other person, no other being, no other anything can enhance what Jesus already is. Can we say amen to that? You see, as we, uh, what I want to do is just kind of set the parameters tonight and over the next several uh, Thursday nights, I, I want us to look at some different Bible doctrines and, and the imitation thereof. And uh, if I can give you kind of a context, what got me thinking about this was... Um, uh, uh, in September, I was asked to preach at a preacher's fellowship in Cleveland. And uh, uh, the text for the, the, the theme of the uh, uh, meeting was, What mean ye by these stones? Talking about the stones that Joshua set up uh, as the children of Israel came through the Jordan River. There were just 12 stones that they set up. And, and uh, as I began praying about what to preach about there... Uh, instead of preaching on the twelve stones, uh, what I did was I preached on the second set of stones that uh, the children of Israel, the two and a half tribes that lived on the other side of Jordan, they built a great altar. It was called Ed. Joshua's stones didn't even have a name. But when the, uh, the children uh, of Israel that lived on the other side, on the uh, east side of the Jordan River, they built a great altar. And if you'll remember, all Israel came in and they had this big confrontation. They said, if you built an altar to, to worship and follow false gods, and they said, no, we built this altar and it's on your side of the Jordan River so that our children will know that they're part of Israel. Well, the only problem was, I've read through this Bible, I don't know how many times, and I can't find one time when the children of Israel living on the west side of the Jordan River said the children of Israel living on the east side of the river weren't Israelites. There was actually a time when the ones on the east side killed a bunch of the ones that lived on the west side. That was backwards. Wait a minute. Whoa! Uh, why did they do that? That was with Jephthah and, 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 and the judges. You see, what was happening was the children of Israel, if they wanted to know that they were part of Israel, they could have went back to Joshua's 12 stones and said, count the number of stones. How many are there? 12. 
Well, how many tribes live on the west side of the river? Ten and a half. Well, here we are, the other two and a half tribes, we're here. Uh, They already had all the proof they needed. But they set up a different altar. They set up a new standard. And that new standard led the children of Israel exactly where they said they weren't going to go, into idolatry. And today we live in a world where everybody says they're right. Everybody claims to have the truth. Uh, I met a fellow passing out tracks uh, just before Christmas. We, uh, just as a family, went out passing out tracks, and he said, The Greeks preserved the Bible. It's a Greek Bible. Sorry, Miss Rita. Don't, don't mean to pick on you, but this guy deserves to be picked on. I said, no, no, no. It's not a Greek Bible. It's a Jewish Bible. Oh, did I say the wrong thing. He just went off on me and all the time smoking the cigarette and smelling of Christmas spirits that come out of a bottle. Uh, I said, you know, if you really believed what you said you believed about the book, you wouldn't be doing the things you're doing. And he stopped and he said, well, we all have problems. (laughs) I said, well, we got to start anyway, amen? But you see, here Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is establishing something. There are two sets of people who claim to follow Christ. Those that really are saved and those that really aren't saved. Those that will gain entrance into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's not Peter standing at the gate. Jesus looks right there and he says in verse 23, And then will I profess. It is Jesus who determines who gets into the kingdom and who does not get into the kingdom. And so, what we have here is we have Jesus telling us and warning us, not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord. And by the way, if you look up that phrase, Lord, Lord, in your Bible, you'll find out that it's only used by unsaved people. You don't have to overemphasize things if you believe in God. You know, at the Home Missions Conference, one of the preachers preached a, a good deal of a sermon on, I believe what they believe, the way I like to put it, I'm just copying Brother Clayton. I believe what they believe, I'm just not mad about it. Amen? Uh, he said, you don't have to be angry about what you believe. And I'm sitting there going, amen. I mean, that's where we, we need to be. But we can't back up on the truth. Because once you do, It's no longer true. And Jesus says that there's going to be many people. Let's turn to Luke chapter 6, if you would. Luke chapter 6. And... um, 
we get down here to verse 46, it says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Some of you will remember Superstorm Sandy and its impact, uh, especially in the uh, beach areas of, of our city here and the surrounding areas. And one of the reasons why the impact of that storm was so severe was years and years and years ago, people went down to the beach and just built a little shack. No foundation, no nothing, just put some wood on the sand and built a little house. And then somebody said, wow, it'd be nice to live here all year round. And so they went and fixed it all up. And then the storm came and there was nothing holding it down. And boom, it went. There are other houses that were built well and they got flooded and people were able to get back in there and rebuild those things. And, and Jesus is saying here, there's two kinds of people who profess faith in me. It's those that hear and do and those that hear and don't. Many, many people want a relationship with God that does not interfere with what's really going on in their lives. Have you ever met anybody like that? Uh, they got things to do. they got plans. They, they've got goals. And, uh, and in fact, uh, we have this fellow, um, I'm going to forget his name, California, who uh, wrote a book, The Purpose Driven Life, where he says that these things that God put in you is the driving force of your relationship with God. Nothing could be more without a foundation of Scripture than that. Jesus wants to rewrite who you are. He wants to change everything about you. He does not want your talents. He does not want your abilities he uh, oftentimes our greatest hindrances to serving and obeying God are what we consider our strong points. Because we think we have that underhand and we think we can deal with that. It was like the Christian psychologist a while back. Somebody wrote him a letter on his radio show and asked him about baptism. And he went, Oh, that's a theological question. I can't answer that. He said, because I'm a trained psychologist. If you have problems with people and problems in your family and problems with relationship, well, the last time I checked, this was the book that had the answer on how to deal with people. Not some derivative of Sigmund Freud. Can we say amen to that? And, of course, you will not find a self-respecting psychoanalyst. I'm sorry, I got that from a cartoon. Uh, uh, some uh, 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 psychologist or psychiatrist who will endorse anything that Freud taught. 
And yet everything they believe and practice is still built upon his foundation. That's why when you come to this church from other religions, we dig out the foundation. We say we can't accept baptism from a church of not faith, like faith and practice. We're, we're not going to let you hold on to the vestiges of a religion that did not lead you to Christ. We want you to turn aside from it. We want you to reject it. That's one of the problems I have with the reformers. Every one of them, as great a men as you may want to classify them as, died, baptized Roman Catholics. But if you want to real, read about the real heroes of the faith, read about Balthasar Hubemeyer, who repudiated his Catholic baptism, his Catholic ordination, and surrendered and was baptized into a Baptist church. And he only lived five years from that date. But he had 25,000 converts all throughout that little area uh, on the Swiss border that he was in till Zwingli and the Reformers caught up with him, forced him into an area controlled by the Catholics, and the Catholics caught him and murdered him. Say, why? I'd rather live. No. Brother Hubemeyer would rather die holding the truth than to live in compromise. You see, there's a difference between what you do and what you don't. And Jesus said that difference is going to make the is going to be the delineating factor, the validating proof, if you would like that. Many people claim to be all right. I've met very few people. I remember once, this was over 30 years ago, when I was traveling with Brother Clayton. We were driving down the road, and on the back of our motorhome that we pulled, it had a big bumper sticker, Heaven or Hell, Where Would You Go? And somebody drove by and honked their horn, I'd go to hell! Only happened once. But you know something? They never thought they were going to end up there. They wouldn't be so happy about it. They thought it was all a joke, I'm sure. And so, we go to Matthew chapter 25, if you would. And Jesus, once again, gives us another warning here. He uses the parable of the ten virgins. He talks about five of them being wise, five of them being foolish. We come down to verse 11. It says, Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord. There we have that phrase again. Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know ye not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Again, Jesus is talking about an entrance to the kingdom. Do you know that all ten virgins were invited to the wedding? They all knew the bride and groom. Otherwise, why would they be there? They were all in expectation that they would partake in the festivities. That's why they were waiting. They slumbered and slept until midnight. And at midnight, 
the call went out. And they woke up and their lamps had burned out and they trimmed them up and relighted the lamps and the five foolish virgins found out they'd run out of oil. Didn't have enough. And so they said to the those that had extra had had the extra oil, give us some of yours. And they said, we can't because if we give you, if we split up what we have, it's not going. Or all our lamps are going to go out, and then we're going to miss out on the festivities. You go get your own oil. And uh, somebody said, now this is a parable. It's symbolic. What what is the oil? Well, it's fairly simple. Oils works. Somebody said, but oil is the Holy Spirit. Can you buy the Holy Spirit? No. But you can buy works. That's how you invest your life in service for the Lord. Amen? And no matter how many works you have, if they're not of God, you're going to run out. Does anybody remember Mother Teresa's last great statement that was put on all the newscast? She said, I'm not sure that I've done enough to please God. And I would have to say, I agree with you. Because no amount of good works is enough to please God. You've got to have the relationship. And that's why when they go and they get to works and they show up late, the doors are already closed. The bridegroom says, I know you're not. And, and that's what I meant Sunday when I talked about, okay, we all know who Jesus is. But does he know who you are? Do you have that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And here, Jesus, three different times as he goes through, and, and this is not exhaustive because we've we got to get through the, less of, the rest of the lesson here tonight, but Jesus lays this thing out that there are those who are making a false claim to Christ, and the fact is, Jesus is going to say to them, I never knew you, you were never my servant, Basically, what are you doing here? You have no part. Another illustration, and, and, and we'll go through this very quickly. I'll just tell the story if you want to read it later. 1 Kings chapter 22. How many of you remember Jehoshaphat and Ahab? One of my favorite guys in the whole Bible. It's got to be Micaiah the prophet. I just love Micaiah. And as you read through that passage, you're going to be very aware that there were two complete different messages, two very apparent sources for those messages. In fact, the only guy that was just a little confused as to where his message came from was the leader of all the prophets of Baal, and he turned to Micaiah and said, where did the Spirit of God turn from me to go to you? I mean, uh, that, that, uh, that leader of those false prophets thought and believed he had a message from God. But when Micaiah showed up and said, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver them into thy hand. How many remember what Ahab did? 
How many times do I have to tell you, if you're going to be a prophet, just prophesy in the name of the Lord. And then he says, okay, you're going to die. And here's Ahab's answer. Didn't I tell you he says bad things about me? Only bad things. Now, is there anything good to say about a man like Ahab who sold himself to serve the devil? How can you say something good about a guy like that? If you believe the Bible, amen? And as they were dragging old Micaiah out to prison with the water of affliction and bread of affliction, that meant dirty water and moldy bread and all of those kinds of things that were not pleasant. Just enough to keep him alive. As they were dragging him out of the court, he said, If he comes back at all in peace, then I haven't prophesied to you in the name of the Lord. And Jehoshaphat went into battle anyway. That's the part I don't understand. We had two messages. It was really easy to discern. The source of one was Baal. That's a false god. Uh, a devilish, demonic god that did all kinds of terrible, terrible things. And I would encourage you not to study about Baal worship. Study about God worship. And Micaiah, the old prophet, said the truth. And Ahab listened. He disguised himself and went into battle. He thought for sure that Jehoshaphat was going to get his arrow or sword or whatever it was. Jehoshaphat came out of the battle without a scratch. Or did he? He lost his son most of his grandchildren because his alliance with Ahab met his son, Mary, Ahab's daughter. He didn't come out without a scratch. If we could get old Hezekiah here today to tell, was it worth the price? And he'll, he, he would say, no, all the terrible things that happened to my family after I was dead and gone was not worth the price of Ahab's friendship even for a moment. You see, good people, I have every belief that we'll see Jehoshaphat on the right side of eternity. He was a godly king. He worshipped God. But that didn't stop him from disobeying God's word, now did it? And reaping the consequences of that, even though he knew the message was wrong and false, you would think... That if Jehoshaphat really believed what Micaiah said, he would have said, Now, listen, Ahab, he's prophesying the name of the Lord. If you go to battle, you're going to die. Let's not go. But Jehoshaphat was already making friends with Ahab. And when you make friends with the devil, you're always going to disobey God's words. Can't, can't get around that. And that's, that's, again, just an illustration as we put this thing here. And let's just go to the book of Mark, if you're still there in Matthew, not very far. Mark chapter 1.
And let's go down to verse 22. And this is repeated through the Gospels, but we'll just use this one here to illustrate the, the truth. Verse 21, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. I've heard it said many times, religion is not the problem. It's just people who believe they're the only ones that are right. How many of you have heard that sentiment? And uh, I don't believe I'm the only one that's right. I'm glad to tell you that's one of the reasons I like to go to the Heartland meetings, because I meet lots of other people who are right. Amen? But I'll tell you who's the only one that's right. It's God. It's not whether he agrees with us. It's whether we agree with him. That's what Jesus was doing here when he taught them as with authority. Have you ever heard anybody teach the Bible without authority? It's quite a sad thing. Well, you know, the best of the scholars seem to tell us that there's a consensus on this truth that Jesus loves people. God is love. Don't try that kind of love at home because it doesn't work. God's love has boundaries, my friend. It has limits. God is illustrating to us the depth and the power and the greatness of his love by making a place called hell and making it real. No person has to go to hell. Thank God I'm not a Calvinist. Amen? Oh, my. I don't know how you could live with yourself if you believe that God preordained people to go to hell. I I don't comprehend that kind of thought process. Nobody goes to hell without stepping over the cross first. Can we say amen to that? Without choosing a false belief. And that's why Jesus was so adamant in his preaching and his teaching that there is a truth and there is a knowledge of God. And we get down to Matthew chapter 15, and I'll just read the verse here. It says, But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. There's an awful lot that goes on in worship that isn't true. That isn't Bible. Because it's based on the doctrines and the commandments of men. Not the doctrines and the commandments of God. I've met people who say, well, that Bible is so confusing. Well, that's probably because you haven't read it. And if you have read it and it's still confusing, that's because you come to the Bible with all kinds of preconceived notions and ideas of what you're going to find when you read it. If you'll just read the Bible for what it says you'll find out it's a very simple, straightforward book. That there's not a lot of deviation. 
People say, well, that's your interpretation. I like to go to Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory in God. Interpret that, please. Uh, well, it says all. Does that leave anybody out? Well, uh, all means all, doesn't it? Yeah, including the Pope, right? He's part of all, right? Including everybody, including you, including me. That's all. We've all sinned. Would you agree with that? Uh, if you have any questions, just get a copy of the New York Times. And if that won't do, you turn into the evening news. Uh, if, if you can't comprehend the fact that all have sinned, it's just because you're not paying attention. And come short of the glory of God. Do you know the most evil things in human history have happened by people who claimed they were acting on behalf of God. That's true. Uh, some of them believed they were God. They found among Adolf Hitler's writings a religion that was built where people worshipped him. How in the world? Could we confuse such a demented little man with the creator God of the universe? But I want to tell you something. When Antichrist shows up, here's what Jesus said. He said that... For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Somebody said, oh, so-and-so's the Antichrist. No, nobody's ever going to confuse him with God. Not, not going to happen. Nobody's going to confuse Bill Clinton with God. I mean, come on. Or Obama or any of these other people. When Antichrist shows up, he will be so good that people will believe he is God. That's why he's called the Antichrist. Because they will believe that he is Jesus. That's what the writers of the New Testament, as they said repeatedly, whosoever doesn't believe that Jesus is come in the flesh is the spirit of Antichrist. Because when he shows up, he's going to claim to be Jesus in the flesh. And all the world religions are going to fall down. They're going to worship him. And they're going to believe that he is this false Christ. People, uh, every so often, somebody will come running in and, uh, uh, and of course, someone that doesn't attend our church, and they'll, they'll go, I'm just worried about the mark of the beast. Uh, don't worry about the mark of the beast. Yeah, but but they got this chip and they're putting it in cats now. And, and it's only going to be a little time before they start putting it in people. Uh, let me tell you, they put chips in people all the time. But it's not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is associated with worship of a man the Bible calls the beast. That hasn't happened yet. But the world will believe that he is Jesus.
In fact, in John 16, Jesus was telling his disciples as he was marching to Gethsemane, They shall put you out of the synagogue, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. Now, has not that verse been lived so many times out through history as the history of the true church is literally written with the blood of those that profess faith in Jesus Christ? And by the way, just because you're a martyr doesn't mean that you're saved. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Catholic Church has its martyrs too. The Protestants killed people, not as many as the Catholics did. Islam killed people. They didn't care whether they, in fact, still, when you meet someone from Islam, they'll try to lump the Catholics and the Orthodox and uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Baptists and everybody in the same, oh, you're all Christians. No, we are not. We don't believe the same thing. There's as much difference between our church and other churches that claim to be Christian as there is between our church and Islam. And so what we have to do is we have to understand. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel light. Just because it looks good doesn't mean it is good. God has given us some protections. And that's what we're going to be getting into in the next several weeks. Every doctrine that we hold dear, every doctrine that we call truth, the devil has invented an anti-doctrine or a false doctrine or an imitation doctrine. Whatever terminology you want to use for that. And let me tell you, the better the imitation, the closer to the truth it is. I mean, if I got a, if I got out my printing press and put Hillary Clinton's picture on it and said it was a hundred dollar bill, would you cash it? Did you hear about the person that showed up at Walmart a couple of years ago? They had a million dollar bill and they wanted change. They got change straight to the federal penitentiary. Uh, they changed their address, they changed their living pattern for the next 25 years, they changed a lot of stuff. Uh, don't do that. The best counterfeits look the closest to the real thing. And what I want us to do, if you're going to know God, shouldn't you know the difference between a fake salvation and a real salvation? Shouldn't you be able to understand that What the world calls love, not love at all. But do we have an answer for them? The Bible has that answer for what true love really is. You know, how many different churches are out there? How many churches did Jesus start? One. He started one church. And if it's his church, he said, I'm going to build it. I'm going to be in charge. I'm the head of the church. Just like you have a head on your body, Jesus is the head of his church. So it shouldn't be too hard to recognize the real thing from the fake thing. Amen? If we're going to know him, 
we better make sure that we're looking at the stones that Joshua set up and not the altar of Ed that the two and a half tribes of Israel set up. Oh yeah, those stones that they set up averted a war. That was a good thing. But the bad thing was they set up a new standard that took them away from the Word of God and away from the truth and set up the paradigm for all of the wickedness that came in the book of Judges. See, what we've got to do is we've got to go back to the standard that God has established. That's what I tell everybody comes through the doors of this church. You want protection? Right here is all the protection you need. It's in this book. You follow the words. You say, well, I don't believe it says what you says it believes. Well, you're more entitled to your own opinion. But try to be very careful to let the Bible speak for itself instead of trying to speak for the Bible around here. Can we say amen to that? Because what we want is to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? It's not how well you know how much you've done. It's about what Jesus knows about you. Amen? I want him to know me. Does that mean I live a perfect life? I wish it did. But what it does mean is that my sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. He saved me. And by God's grace, we're going to serve him together in our church. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask now that you would help us to see and understand as we spend these next several Thursday nights just going through some of these things, looking at the truth and the simplicity of the Bible versus the foolishness and the wickedness and the deceit of men. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would be able to open our eyes and make things simple and clear. And Lord, that we would be able to grow, as the Bible says, and not be carried about by every wind of doctrine. Help us, Lord, to love you and to live for you. And before we finish that prayer... As the piano plays, maybe you'd like to slip out of your seat and spend a little time at the altar. The altar's open.